guys, welcome back to The Right Type. In today's episode, I speak with Clarabelle Ortega, who is the author of Ghost Squad, which is out April 7th. In the episode, Clarabelle takes us through her publication journey. I ask her what inspired her to write Ghost Squad, and I also quiz her on British slang and culture. I had such a fun time catching up with Clarabelle. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed talking with her. And yeah, just going to jump straight in. So Clarabelle, just tell everyone about you and uh, your book and when it's coming out. Sure. So my name is Clarabel A. Ortega, and I'm the author of the upcoming book Ghost Squad, which is coming April 7th, so, so soon, from Scholastic. And um, Ghost Squad is the story of a 12-year-old Lucelli Luna who accidentally awakens some malicious spirits with the help of her best friend, Sid, and now has to send those spirits back where they came from, along with Sid's witchy grandmother, Babette, and her fat cat, Chunk, before the full moon on Halloween. Literally, if I had your book when I was younger, it would have changed my life. I think that I've always been a gothic child, and so just amazing. <laughs> I see that. <laughs> I feel that energy from you. I mean, same for me. Like, definitely, I've always been into, like, really spooky reads, and the fact that this um, has so much of my culture in it as well. As a child, I would have just been... I mean, I had nothing like that as a kid, so... I would have been obsessed with it. <laughs> we were actually talking about this the other day, how like, um, we were talking about music, I guess, I think, and like rock music and indie music and how people don't understand how much black and brown kids like that are like gothic or like like alternative things crave seeing themselves in books, like doing stuff. Oh my gosh, stuff. yeah. Absolutely, because we're made to feel like weirdos when we like that kind of stuff, right? Because we're not exactly. supposed to. And like I remember even like being picked on as a kid because I liked um rock and like alternative music and um it's like when you're not a person of color you get like a blank slate to be like whatever you want to be but if you are a person of of color then it's like you can only like hip-hop you can only like r&b you can only like this kind of music um because that's like the category people put you in and it's like well I'm sorry that I want to listen to Oasis and cry sometimes, but I do. (laughs) And not to be shady, but I guess this is my podcast, so I can be shady. I just hate when white people feel like they can talk for us, I guess. Saying that, oh, teens like this music or they like this music. And yeah. That's a very frustrating thing also, you know, because there's like, we nobody on this planet is a monolith and like no one team is the same no, no one person is the same there are different like shades of everything and um and I think that's always frustrating uh when that happens and it's like you know we're just now getting to like explore all of these genres and like get our foot in the door let us write what we want <laughs> exactly um and thank you so much for writing Ghost Squad I know so many kids are gonna be they're gonna feel seen for the first time ever I don't think I've ever heard of anything i mean coco amazing like it's that's revolutionary um but i feel like yeah we haven't seen this before in middle grade yeah i'm really excited about it it definitely feels like a first for me i don't know if there are other middle grade dominican fantasies i don't know that that exists um i would have to like really look into it certainly none that i know of and they're also very dark-skinned like the characters um that was just so like i just remember seeing the cover and i was like oh my god this is beautiful but also dark-skinned little children like with the cornrows just like Mm. front and center you just don't see that 
Yeah, for sure. I thought that was really important. Like, one of the things that we really focused on with the cover is making sure that, like, Buscelli had, like, big curly hair and that Sid had her hair in braids. And, like, I um, I described Sid in the book as sort of, like, a black Hermione. Like, she's, like, so smart and so cool and she knows it and she doesn't care. And she, like, flips her braids over her shoulder at one point, like, as she's answering a question because she, like, knows what she's doing. And I just really love giving them that, like, that, like, important sense of self and not doubting themselves for reasons that, you know, the world probably doubts them for, but just for reasons that any kid would doubt themselves, that they're a kid, you know, and adults aren't listening to them. And how can they make a difference if they're so small? Um, and not make it about, you know, them doubting themselves because they're black and brown, like, because they're, they're perfect the way they are. And like, Lucelli and Sid are just, they're like my children. <laughs> I love them so much. I love that so much. And, um, I can't wait for it to come out. Everyone, I'm going to put it in the show notes, like where you can pre-order and also where you can buy it because um by the time it comes out it will just be like a few days until you can get it so um i'm gonna so do that soon. oh so soon yes. does it feel real you know it's so weird because everybody like this book sold in 2017 so it's been quite some time wow um and everybody always tells you that like it's gonna feel like it's taking so long and then all of a sudden it's gonna be like your book comes out tomorrow. And I swear to you, I was always like, that's not going to happen to me because it took so long. Like, I am the exception to this. Like, I'm one of the exceptions to this. I'm not, like, really, I cannot believe it. It feels like it went by so fast. And I don't know how I'm literally, like, right now at the time of recording, about a week away from the book coming out. And it just feels very strange. I remember you saying, literally, it felt like yesterday, you saying how... Um, <laughs> you were like pregnant with a book baby that was nine months away <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and now it's almost here it's it's weird because it's happening during like the pandemic and like obviously it's not as joyful as a thing as I would have loved it to be it's not how I expected things to happen but that's sort of like the running theme of my whole publishing career it's not what I expected but I'm certainly still going to celebrate it. Like, the day that it comes out, I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to dress up. I'm going to make it as festive as I can be within my own means, you know? That's the best thing you can do. I feel like the worst thing for me would be regret. And, um, mm. like, just trying to be happy with what you have is kind of hard, but, like, um, important for when you're looking back, I guess, on, like, moments. For sure, yeah. And I want to... I don't, I don't want the day to be like about me sulking or being upset about it I just want to make the most of it and hopefully you know it makes a splash online and the online book launch is fun I'm sure it will be and that's all I can ask for I'm just gonna you know be home and interacting with everybody and hopefully seeing a lot of excitement for it could you just tell us about your publication journey how you got your agent and how it's been um, so my publication journey has been a wild ride. Um, I got my first agent through DB Pit, and that ended up not working out. Um, and that was in, I want to say, 2016. I was with that agent for a year, and it was just not a good match. And I, it's like one of the situations where, like, 
you don't realize that things are not good until like one little thread is pulled and that thread was an author asking me if things were going well with him out of like concern for me because he heard that there were like you know some not great situations with some agents at that agency and I was like oh yeah everything's fine like I wasn't really thinking about it and then I was like wait a minute is everything fine (laughs) and I started like really thinking about it and I was like oh my god everything is not good and I'm actually really unhappy because of A, B, and C, um, just lack of communication and like all of these different things. And I made the very difficult decision to leave my first agent, um, while I was still on sub with my first book. And that was a very tumultuous weekend. I was really upset and I thankfully had the help of two agent friends, like walking me through the process because I was panicking. I really felt like I'm starting from scratch now. Like, I really have to start from scratch now, but this is, I can't not do this. Like, I know this is the right move for me. So that same week that I left my agents, after a lot of fighting, um, I was able to, um, I was able to query right away. Um, and I decided to do DV Pit that Thursday, I believe it was. So I left my agent on, like, the Friday of the week before. And then Thursday was DV Pit. And during DV Pit, I'm in a group chat with Beth uh, Phelan, the agent who started it, and Kat Cho, um, the author of Wicked Fox, because we help Beth, like, manage the whole day. So we're, I mean, we're always in a group chat. <laughs> but we are in, like, a very intense group chat the day of DV Pit because we're just talking about everything on the timeline and asking each other questions and I'm bringing up red flags or whatever. And around like maybe 3.30, I asked Beth, I said, do you think I should pitch? And Beth was like, yes, do it. Like immediately. It was like, do it right now. And I was so nervous because nobody knew that I had left my agent. Like aside from like three of my friends. So I was really, really nervous about doing it because I was like, not only is this me telling everybody I left my agent, but I feel so embarrassed because I'm starting from scratch, you know? Which, looking back, I was like, I had nothing to be embarrassed about. But in the moment, especially when you're a newer author, it just feels like you were defeated somehow, right? So I was like, I'm just going to send out this pitch and see what happens. And within, like, 15 minutes, I had, like, 100 likes on the pitch. I would say maybe, like, 50 of those were from actual agents. It was incredible. I never expected it. And from that, um, Susie Townsend uh, from New Leaf Literary commented, like, I need to read this. And I was shaking. I was shaking because I had never queried anybody from New Leaf because I was always so scared of them. I was like, everybody at New Leaf is beautiful and famous, and I <laughs> don't belong there. <laughs> I was like, nobody's going to like me there. Um, I'm just not going to query. I'm not good enough. So I, I ended up querying, you know, like a handful, not everybody who requested, I made like a spreadsheet and I queried, um, maybe like 25 of the agents. And by the Thursday of the next week, I had my first offer of representation and they started trickling in. And by the end of the two week, like 
deadline period that I gave the agents, I had about eight offers total, and I ended up going with Susie, which was a really hard um, decision at the end because it was between her and one other agent that I really liked, Um, but Susie's feedback on my manuscript just felt right to me. And I just got along with her so well, and we've been together ever since. What are some warning signs that you'd advise people look out for um, based on your own experience? Um, so for me, I think that the first time that I got an agent offer, it was my sole agent offer. And I think something deep down told me maybe it wasn't right, but because it was my only agent offer, and I was so excited, and I had been working on this book for so long... I just went with it. And I think that was my first mistake. And that's why I always tell people, like, a bad agent is worse than no agent at all. And, like, a lot of people say that. And it's a lot easier said than done to not take that offer. And I totally get that because I was there, too. You know, I was at that point. Um, So I would say the initial gut feeling is really important to listen to. Um, And for me, it, it was... The lack of, like, communication and, like, updates really were not great for me. Like, even if there's nothing to communicate about, if you're on sub with your agent and they're not letting you know what's going on periodically, and I mean, this was over a span of a year where I forgot that I was on sub because I heard almost nothing, and I think that that's not really acceptable. Um, And because I also found out that I was getting rejections throughout that time and I just wasn't being informed of them. Um, So there's like truly like a lack of information for me. One thing that was also really bad was, um, and this is a personal thing because not every agent is going to be editorial and that's fine. But I wanted an agent that was going to be editorial and I was led to believe that the people that I was working with were and they definitely were not. Just to give you an idea that the the notes that I got from my original agent were pretty much just copy edits, um, whereas I revised that book with Susie for two years. Wow. So um, this was a different book than Ghost Squad. So um, just like sort of the, the lack of... Um, investment in in the things that I found important and and the things that you find important are going to be different you need to identify those things and that's really hard to do when you've never had an agent before because it's sort of like your first relationship with you know a partner like you don't know what you don't know like you don't know what you don't like and like until you're sometimes faced with those things and I think that's the really hard thing about agents that are not necessarily agents but are just not the right match for you you know um I think also for me, another thing was, like, I, I I know a lot of people in the industry, and I've been around in the industry for a long time. I need somebody who is going to be able to have more connections than I do, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, someone who's going to be the assertive person and the person who is sort of, like, in charge of the business side of things otherwise it's like I'm going to end up steamrolling you because I know more people than you do I I I can't have that as a as a client you know and that was one of the things that was worrisome for me um and just like sort of really dropping the ball on a lot of things 
when it came to editors who asked for my book specifically and never got it, you know, um, that's something that to me is just not okay. And it's like, it's one thing if an editor asks for a book and the agent doesn't agree that it's a good person to sub to, which has happened with me and Susie before, but the difference is that Susie lets me know, Hey, this editor wants to read. Um, I think we should hold off on submitting to them because of ABC, you know, um, it's not the right time. Or I think this person in house would be better. What do you think? That's how it should go. Not just a complete silence. So it was really the lack of communication and letting me know what was going on on my end. That was really bothering me. Um, And also, there were situations that arose that um, could have been potential opportunities for me. And when my agent was on the, my old agent was on the call with the people who were involved, asked zero questions, nothing. An agent should always be looking for the things that um, could be potential problems, finding out all the ins and outs of a of a project. Um, not just being silent on the line, you know? Um, and I knew that I needed somebody who was more proactive and more aggressive and more editorial and had better communication skills. And um, the pro- the editorial um, part of it is really subjective because that differs from agent to agent, but being proactive and communicating are non-negotiable. Those should be guaranteed to you. Agreed. I feel so sorry that you had to go through that. I think that what you mentioned are just things that um, every agent should have. Even like to in some extent, the edits being just copy edits, I don't think is good right, enough. But, right. Like to me, that's unacceptable. But I do know that there are some agents that are great agents and who only take on projects that they feel are like almost ready to go, you mm-hmm. know? And I mean, you know, I can't really fault them for that. I will say that uh, from my experience, I think that as the playing field in Kidlet especially gets more and more competitive, the more polished and perfect your project can be before going on submission, the better it is for me, for you. So in my opinion, having that extra step of revising that book and really making it shine with your agent um, is really great. And that's another reason why I love New Leaf because we actually have an in-house editor that used to be um, an editor at a publishing house and she's fantastic and it gives us an edge. That's so cool. I don't think there's many agencies with that. I think that New Leaf's like, willingness to be innovative in a industry that's like so resistant to change is a really big reason why they're successful for sure because agents have so much on their plate so much on their plate so anything that could like help alleviate some of that i think is a good thing uh i agree um when i got my agent i realized how busy agents actually are because um i had to speak to her clients first and i was like oh she has a lot of clients i can pick from and then I realized when I was obviously working with her that she does a lot of work and I'm like, when do you sleep? Um, So I started to realize why querying took so long and how much work they're really doing. And I was like, wow, they're kind of superhuman. Um, And I always feel bad. And whenever I send her like something and she's like, don't feel bad, just send it to me. (laughs) Um, So, uh, What advice would you give to people that are leaving their agents and trying to query again? 
Um, I would say that, you know, definitely look over your contract. Um, be honest with yourself and just like sit down and really evaluate how you're feeling about your relationship. And I think that's something that everybody who has an agent should do periodically. Just like check in with yourself um, and, you know, make sure all of your bases are covered, um, especially if you've gone on sub with that person already. Um, get your sub list from them. That's something that they have to give you. Um, just make sure that all of those things are in place so that when you are able to query someone else, you're, you can tell them who your book has gone on to has has gone out to already um just keep records of everything when you send them an email letting them know that you want to leave keep that email keep everything really well documented um and just know that this is a business and it happens and so many authors are on their second and third agent it's really not a big deal um it feels like such a big deal when it happens because it feels like a breakup because I think a lot of times we go into the agent relationship feeling like it is this like this like I don't want to say romantic because it's not romantic but like in terms of how can I explain this we go into it without analyzing it like a business move right we go in into it thinking of it as our dream this is my dream, this is my dream agent, this is what I've been working towards, I'm so excited, you know, they're going to help me make my dreams come true, and all of these, like, really sort of, like, romantic notions that we attach to the business partnership, and when you do that, it becomes a lot harder for you to break off a business partnership, even when it's not working out, so you have to really look at it through the lens of someone who's trying to make the best decision for their career and not look at it through this lens of, you know, um, this lens of, I'm like, there's a word that I'm looking for and I'm not able to find it in my brain right now. Is it the, the like rose tinted glasses? Yeah. So like, it's just, it's just really hard to separate the, it's really hard to separate the, the art, the artist part of you and your heart and like how important the book is to you, um, in an emotional way. I think that's what I'm trying to say. It's very hard to separate the emotions of the situation and of your book and of your writing, um, when it comes to making a business decision, but that's something that you're going to have to do so many times in your career. And you want, you don't want to be thinking, with your heart (laughs) you know you don't want to be thinking oh I'm gonna hurt their feelings it's like it's not about feelings like I promise you you're not the first author to leave this agent um you don't have to feel horrible as long as you're being above board and you're not like querying before you leave the agent or something like that you know um as long as you're doing everything in the correct steps and you're being respectful and professional then there's absolutely no reason for you to feel guilty about it you know you're doing what's best for your career and that's what you're supposed to be doing i agree it's so hard especially as people of color to take these risks and like leave behind something that feels more certain but I feel like in the end you're gonna like thank yourself for doing that because it's just hurting you more right and it can feel like I I said a few times it felt like I was taking a step backwards when in all actuality 
my career started to flourish the moment that I left the agent that wasn't right for me. Um, I was actually taking a leap forward instead of a step backward. Even that's what it felt like. But it's it, sometimes you need to take that step that feels like it's going in the wrong direction to, to, to correct your course. And once you correct your course, it's going to be so evident and you're going to feel like a sense of relief and things will start falling into place. Maybe not right away. Maybe it's not going to be the week it happened. Like it happened for me. That was just like dumb luck. But it is going to be better because another thing that you have to remember, if you, if you sign with an agent that is not right for you and you know that you're doing that, um, you're essentially wasting the book that you're going on sub with, right? Because to go on sub with the same book a second time is, is very rare. It's very rare for that to happen. It can happen, but the chances are slimmer of it selling. So you're basically sacrificing this thing that you worked really hard for and you want to give that book the best chance that it can have. And sometimes that means waiting a little longer and, and that's okay. Agreed. And I think that it's so important for like, people to hear um there's so many people i feel that are sitting in like situations where they're not happy but they just need someone to tell them that it's not a step backwards it's a leap forward um most of the time yeah and you know what looking back like i'm glad that it happened now because then i would have been stuck in a relationship because if that agent sells a book for you you, you're gonna always have to deal with them um, in one way or another, even if you leave the agency. Um, so it was a blessing in disguise, but it definitely is not something that should be happening ever. You should be told about those opportunities, even if it's something you guys, you know, choose not to pursue. 100%. And um, I was wondering, what was your inspiration for writing Ghost Squad? You said it was your second book that you had with an agent. Um, so part of Ghost Squad is based on Dominican folklore. Uh, that says that the souls of your uh, lost loved ones actually live on as fireflies who are uh, watching over you and protecting you. And I just love that idea. I thought it would make for such an interesting, beautiful um, addition to a fantasy, like paranormal middle grade, something that I had never seen before. And it was really a chance for me to incorporate my culture in a, in a book about ghosts, which I love. <laughs> um, and on top of that, it's, um, you know, inspired by my brother who passed away in um, 2012 from cancer. And we used to catch fireflies together as children. So it really felt like a full circle moment for me. Um, so it was sort of twofold. It was both um, my Dominican heritage and, you know, my brother's passing that inspired the book as well as, you know, my love for spooky books and like adventures. That's so lovely. And, um, I just, as I said before, I just can't wait for it. Um, and it's it's such a beautiful thing like that they become fireflies. I love that too. I think it's so comforting. I've never seen a firefly before. (gasps) Really? No, I haven't. I feel like um, the UK is a very boring place. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many of them here. I'm so jealous. It just sounds... I didn't know they were real. <laughs> oh, they are. And they're so cool. And you can catch them so easily, like, in your hand. And they'll just, like, walk around. And wow. it's such a summertime thing for me in New York because we have so many of them here. Oh my god, when I was there, I don't know why I didn't see any. I feel like I wasn't looking for them. So I was just... Well, if you were in the city, like... 
You have to be like around trees. I feel okay, like, yeah, or like no. in a park or something. I was in the yeah. city. There was like literally no nature. <laughs> yeah, we had a small backyard, um, and our street was tree lined growing up. I grew up in the Bronx, but the house that we were in, we had like a backyard with like a couple of trees, so we had a lot of fireflies at night. That's so cool. <laughs> and um, I wanted to do the next part, which I'm very excited for. Oh, I um, know what's coming. <laughs> I actually did this with uh, Casey um, and she did really well. I feel like you're going to do better because she kind of, um, she was very, very like knowledgeable, but I think there's no one as, uh, by the way, guys, Clarabelle's like a honorary British person. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to pick ones that I thought would be a little bit harder, but I think you're going to, like when I was picking them, I was like, you're going to do well. I might, I might not do well. If I don't, we'll just like pretend that I'm not feeling well. Okay, so you better get all of them because I've hyped you up in my head. So much pressure. Okay, let's go. Okay, so there's 13 words. Oh my gosh. If you get like 10, I'll be really impressed. All right. Okay, so the first word is calm. Wait, say that one more time. Calm, like like C-A-L-M. Oh, I already don't know. (laughs) Okay, so... Um, should I use it in a sentence? Yeah, do, do that. Okay, so you'd tell me something like, um, you'd say, oh yeah, Farida, I'm gonna like make you some tea. And I'll be like, oh, that's calm. Is it like, I don't know. I, I'm gonna guess if I say something, but I don't know it off the top of my head. I don't, I'm not gonna lie. So you're gonna guess? Um, like relaxing? No. <laughs> Okay, uh, so calm means like, uh, okay, like, so if someone just does something for you, like, oh, that's calm, like, thank you, kind good. of, or like. Never heard that. See, Jordy Shore has failed <laughs> me, and so has Love Island. Oh my gosh. Okay, this is more uh, like a South London um, word, okay. I guess. Um, Alright. Okay, and then the next word is ends. Okay, so uh, I feel like I know this one. But I don't know how to describe it. Um, can, can you use this one in a sentence? I'm going to fill all of these now. And you're <laughs> going to cancel my interview. It's already cancelled. Okay, I'm trying to think of a way. Um, are you from ENDS? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you have like a guess? I hope, hope John Boyega is not listening to this episode. <laughs> He's going to be really disappointed in me. I think he would be, to be honest. He will. Uh, so, okay, ends means, like, um, I guess in the U.S. terms, it's, like, the hood. Uh, okay. I mean, I felt like I knew it deep down in my heart, but it's, <laughs> it's still a zero for me. A lot of people, like, say that they're from ends, but you know they're not. They're, like, they live in the suburbs. <laughs> oh, my god that's like here too oh god i hate it the next one is the word clapped clapped yes these are really hard you weren't kidding um if i had to guess is it like a diss or something like a comeback yes okay um yeah that's my guess (laughs) (laughs) you can get half a point it like it means like someone is like ugly yeah (laughs) Okay, the next one. I feel like you should know this one. It's mandem slash galdem. Um, 
describe it. Like, I've heard this so many times, but I don't know how I would define this. <laughs> um, I don't know. Drake is also disappointed in me. I <laughs> oh my can't gosh. believe this is happening to me. Drake really wants to be, like, British. He, oh my god, so badly. He really, really wants to. He wants to be both British and Jamaican. As a yes, oh my god. He wants to be anything <laughs> but Canadian. <laughs> Seriously. Um, okay. I mean, is it like would be like somebody like in your group of friends or like it would be like one of like your buddies or like somebody in your crew or something like that. yeah i'll give you that one actually because um i think it okay. can be used in two contexts so like um someone saying that's the mandem which is like you know that's my guys okay um or also it can just be used to describe boys versus girls okay yeah so someone saying right, like yeah, oh yeah, yeah mandem just don't have like any hygiene something like that <laughs> okay cool so i have a point and a half <laughs> well done <laughs> Ugh, i'm sweating <laughs> i feel like the next one i feel like you might get I said that a, a lot of times I, I have i'm a liar i'm so sorry <laughs> i've tricked you <laughs> okay um the next one is gassed okay Gas like if you're like if somebody thinks like too much of themselves. Yes. Almost, like okay, good. Yay. We have that here. Too. We say that here too. So. Oh, good. Okay. Some I've realized some things cross over. Mhm. And I'm not sure where it starts, but like I've noticed there's like similarities. Yeah, um, for sure. The next is peak. 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 Mm. <sighs> Let me think. Is it? Is it something bad happening? Uh, yeah. Okay. Actually, I'll give you that point because that's basically what it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You'd use it in the sentence like, um, if someone said, oh, my dog died or my cat died or something, and you'd be like, oh, that's peak. Or, oh. yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> that's, that's so really sad. It's like the opposite of like what you would think it is. Right? Actually, yeah, because like peak is high up, right? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> And then the next one, I think you're definitely going to get Waste Man. Um, so that's like, that's like, I don't want to say a bad word, but like an S-boy, like somebody who's like immature, I guess. And it's like not worth it. And just like garbage, basically. Just like someone who's like, ugh. Yeah, you're right. Terrible. Well done. And then the next one is skint. Skimped? Skint, like S-K-I-N-T. Oh, um, does that mean like, like, a, like bro- being broke? Yes. Okay. Well done. Um, oh, redeeming myself. <laughs> <laughs> the next one I feel like is, um... So a lot of, I don't know if you knew this, but a lot of South London slang uh, is kind of um, rooted in a mixture of Caribbean, like, words slash West African words. I did know that, yep. Yes, so this one, um, because you're from the Caribbean, so I don't know if you'll get this one, but I think it's more of a Caribbean thing, but we say it in South London. It's retete. What? I don't know that one. 
<laughs> it means etc so like for example oh, if i was like okay. so like 10 years from now you're going to be such a prolific author and so i'd be like I would, I would never say this obviously because it's very um it's very colloquial <laughs> but i'd be like yes you wrote like ghost squad and this and this and retata so yeah <laughs> i've never heard that but i love it <laughs> Um, so it just means etc etc and then the next one is mans like with an s um oh is that like may I get this one so wrong is that like like the man like government no Do you want okay, me to wait, use it in a sentence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, let me think of like a sentence that would work with this. Um, is it, wait, is it like when you're in a situation with somebody? No. My goodness. <laughs> it's like, okay, so I'm trying to think of something that might relate. Oh, wait. Um, man's got a cat named Chunk. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my, I've already got the lyrics in my head. <laughs> it goes like, man's got a cat named Chunk. He goes meow meow. <laughs> myself oh, okay. it's kind of gender neutral as well okay yeah. yeah i didn't know that one so like yeah you just use it for yourself and you're just describing yourself kind of in third person which happens a lot for some reason in slang mm. but yeah you just say it like that like yeah the next word doesn't make sense um like i tried to think how would i describe this but maybe you'll know it already um so the next word is still 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 like, like S- yeah S T I L L. Um, how could you? Can you use it in a sentence? Yeah, I can, but like, I don't know if it will help. Okay, so like, using the word I I talked about earlier, peak, which obviously means bad. Um, you okay. could say like that's peak still. I I don't know. <laughs> okay, so still is like, um, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like. It's almost like saying period, but like, oh, okay. not really. Okay. It kind of ex- like okay. it does something to the sentence. I don't know, but people say it a lot. Like, Emphasis on it. Exactly, like yeah. Emphasis on the thing that it is. Okay. Yeah. Listen exactly. to me. These are really hard and <laughs> I am mad at you. I'm so on. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I know I said this before and I know that I'm a known liar, but I think you're going to get the next two. You're a proven liar. <laughs> Okay, the next one is piss take. <sighs> piss take. Okay, so I know taking the piss is like when you're like making, like when you're joking about something. Because I know people are like, are you taking the piss? Like, are you like effing kidding me? 
Yeah. So, so is that like, is like somebody who's like not being serious or like, like sort of like being ridiculous about something? Yeah, like it's kind of like um, a synonym, I guess, for taking the piss. Okay. Um, but it usually I describes like. Oh, I, I deserve the full point for that one. <laughs> yes, you do. You do. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> oh my god, I got like a twenty out of a hundred. <laughs> um, it's like you only use it kind of for things. So, like, mm. um, for example, like, um, I don't know, my university have cancelled classes because of the coronavirus and mm. some universities are making people repeat the year um <gasps> yeah so you'd be like that's a piss take yeah that yeah. is a major piss take i would say so so would everybody <laughs> even if they didn't know what it meant which i did um i think you're gonna get this one I'm, i promise you actually <clears throat> okay if you don't get this sounds one sus- sounds suspicious <laughs> all right okay the last one is mug Somebody like a fool, like you're making me look like a mug. Yeah, I know that one from Jordy Short. That one I know because Charlotte said it so many times about um, Gary that I will never forget that word. Oh my god, I remember I used to watch Jordy Short and I was like, I just learned so much Jordy slang from it, and I was like, this is just so like they also say like us, like I went to one themselves, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, this is so weird. They do. Um, that that was like it's so funny because that was like my introduction to watching UK reality TV because Jordy Shore came obviously at the heels of Jersey Shore, which I was obsessed with. Yeah. And I was like, let me watch this show and see if it compares. And it was so much raunchier than the American one because <laughs> you guys just show anything on TV. Oh it's yeah. Great. I didn't believe how like whoa everything was and i was addicted to it because i was like this is perfect i I was addicted to it too and i shouldn't have been watching it because i was very young but like yeah it was just so (laughs) crazy like i remember when charlotte like peed that was wild to me like they would just show them like having accidents all the time and and it was also like it was really melodramatic (laughs) because they always like left the house and people would start crying like oh i can't believe you're leaving and like they'd be back like the next day (laughs) (laughs) no i love it for that reason it's so good it's Towie though i will never not who's that oh Towie. oh i've never watched Towie, but my brother was very obsessed with it so it took me a while a long time to understand anything that they were saying (laughs) it was actually a lot harder for me to understand the essex accent than it was like like the newcastle accent like i couldn't i was like what i had to watch it with subtitles because it was so hard for me to understand but now i can watch it with no i know everything they're saying now because i'm just so used to it i watched it from the very first season they have the first through like i don't want to say like the 20th or something season on hulu on american hulu um but it used to be so much more fun than it is now because they didn't take themselves as seriously, I feel like, in the beginning. But now it's, like, it's too dramatic. I feel like also um, the fame has ruined it because I think before these were just normal weirdos that came on the right. shows and now they're getting, like, big deals and contracts and getting rich and so people that are not, like, mo- the most interesting people, they don't come on anymore. It's just people that, like, will sell. Right. 
to the audience. Right, that's a hundred percent what it is. Um, and I think that I, I feel like that's really what's missing. Like, even though I couldn't stand him, like someone like Arj, who like completely blew up his life because of Taui, like wouldn't be on the show today because he's like not like a conventionally attractive person but like someone like that who is not like your run-of-the-mill like good-looking like boring person makes the show so much more interesting like adds different dynamics to it and I feel like that is out the window now everybody's like overproduced already like from the very start exactly and I hate it it's so annoying like so many reality tv shows they start off um, they used to start off really good and now it's just so I don't know there's something always missing and it just feels so like disgenuine um, like Love Island it used to be a lot more oh my God. interesting I know I love I, lo- I love Hannah from the first season of Love oh, yeah. Island with all of my heart she, her accent is the best thing that I've ever heard wait where um, is she from? Liverpool oh god <laughs> oh my god and I love her so much i'm interested in the liverpoolian accent i find it very very strange and when people talk i just kind of stare at them um it's strange but she was just so funny she was so funny that like everything she said was perfect she's hilarious and as you know i don't know if you know this actually i shouldn't assume but like londoners they're so like prejudiced against like the birmingham accent really oh you didn't know this it's a huge thing like someone said if like my child had a Birmingham accent, I'd like kill them. <gasps> That's horrible. It is. It's really awful. That's it doesn't make horrible. sense. And you know what's just so funny too about Americans? Americans don't know. Oh my a gosh. Accent from a common one. So yeah. Think that like everything is like beautiful and proper sounding <laughs> when obviously it's not. Um. So that's so funny to me because it's like here everyone's like oh my god British accent it's so beautiful and like over there you guys are like oh my god it's horrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I was talking to one of my friends um, Cameron and she was saying how I was like she was just saying how everyone sounds the same because she came here she said like she couldn't tell the difference between a Birmingham accent and a London accent and I was like that's just so insulting yeah see that, and I think it's because I watch so much British TV like I, I love British TV so much that I can tell when it's different accents, but like I also get it because like I think before I I got into TV shows, I probably would have thought the same thing. Because um, to our ears, it's like we're used to like we're used to like West Coast, mid Midwestern, um, or Southern or East Coast accents, right? Um, so it's like four. <laughs> and like, those are the major ones. And like, that's it. And um, you guys have so many variations. So many. So. Even within London. Mm-hmm. Um, when I meet other Americans that like, maybe don't watch as much TV or like, um, know as much as like, about Britain, um, they're always like, oh, Farida, you sound so proper. But I'm like, I'm from like, south london so it's just weird to me but actually since we're talking about british shows the next question is um what are your favorite british shows okay i have a few so um there are two british uh sort of like cozy mystery murder mystery shows that i'm obsessed with one of them is midsummer murders um which is like a really old lady show i feel like but i'm obsessed with it and also father brown another 
lady show staple obsessed um and i love reality tv shows so Jordy Shore, Towie, um, Made in Chelsea. I love all of those shows. Um, I'll also watch, like, one-off documentaries. Like, I saw the one with the, I think, Jesse from Little Mix, I think. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The one about, like, bullying and stuff. I watched that. Riveting. Um, I'll also, I also watch, like, um, there's this one show. I forgot the name of it. But it's this woman who goes to all of these, like, um, junkyards and she gets like three different pieces of like things that people have thrown out and she repurposes them and then sells them for money and then she brings the money to the people who threw them out um that's so I nice of her. yeah I, that's such a soothing show I love it it's it's like it's so cute um I wish I could remember the name of it but I can't and there are a lot more I love British um, TV as well like especially the reality so TV show one of my all-time favorite shows oh not my just gosh. british but of all time is my match i knew you were gonna say I- it <laughs> Her mom was one of the best characters of the whole show. I loved her. 
I've just got so much to say. Like, you can see my face. I'm just, like, exploding. Um, as you know, like, I love that show so much. It's just everything. When her mum was like, I'm going through the change, Ray. I was like, um, I don't know what a change was. But, like... <laughs> Do you remember when um, Finn was like, I don't know if I should, I'm a children's author. When Finn was... It's fine. I mean, kids are not listening to podcasts. No. It's like for big people. Exactly. Okay. Finn was like, you know, he was fingering Ray. And then um, her mum comes in and Finn has to shake her mum's hand. And I was like, I was like, wow. <laughs> and she was just like, thank oh, you, no. Finn. And she was crying. And he was just like, that there. Was so hilarious. He didn't know what to do. And of course, that iconic to be continued. I remember. Oh my god. Tumblr at that moment, I like. I'm surprised Tumblr didn't shut down because everybody was like losing it over that line. Like when he says to be continued to her, and he leaves the room. I was just like, I think I might die. And this is the end for me. <laughs> it's too much. I cannot handle it. Um, if anybody hasn't seen that show, please check it out. It is so good. It would change your life. And actually, like, really? what you were saying about um, it being so authentic, I felt like we were actually in someone's diary. It felt For so... Sure. Like, everything was so, like... There was just no holding back. And there were so many scenes. Like, the one you mentioned when she was unzipping. I cried when that happened. Oh, so oh my much. God. The, it was so painful. And, like, that's one thing we also should mention. Like, the show is littered with triggering content. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. So much, like, self-harm and, like, body dysmorphia and just so many things that like be very very careful and like just look up trigger warnings before you start it and just be aware um that there are lots of discussions of things that um are hard to watch they're hard to watch but i feel like they were handled in such a powerful beautiful way that i just I don't think that I've felt that way about the show since. I actually watched it. I don't know if you know this. I watched this, um, the show, as a joke. Um, <laughs> because really? basically it was, I remember exactly, it was, it was um, premiering on my sister's birthday. And we kept on seeing the like adverts on TV. And it was like, my name's Ray. I'm 16. And I'm desperate for a shag. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I was like, this just sounds like it's going to be hilarious. And then by the, I watched it for a joke with my sister. And by the end... I was silently crying. I was like, okay, next week. <laughs> it's so good. Like, I watched it as everybody watched it in the UK because I did a bad thing. And I um, registered on E4, which is a channel that they gave it on. And I just picked a random address in London <laughs> and put it in as my address. So I, ha- I don't know. I'm sorry to whoever's house or, like, store that was. But I was watching it under the pretense that I was a British citizen and I was watching it and like I needed to watch it as it happened. Like I was like, I can't wait. <laughs> no, I don't blame you at all. Like that is something that I would break the law for as well. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, police. But <laughs> I'm not really that sorry. <laughs> um, have you watched shows like Come Down With Me? I've never watched anything like that. I haven't oh my watched God. like the the what is it come dance with me lately or any of those like shows um i watch like the dating reality shows and like the sort of like like the peek behind the curtain ones like you know towie but i haven't watched that one trying to think what other i watched one that i won't mention the actual title yeah i watched that one tons when it first came out 
And I actually didn't know that Gentina was like on one of those shows. Do you do you know Gentina? Or do you remember no, Gentina? No. Um. So do you know Lady Sovereign, the rapper? No. Oh, okay. So I'm like aging myself. <laughs> Gentina was this like white girl who like grew up like in a caravan or whatever, and she wrote this song called "Bad Ass Stripper," and then this other British rapper, also white, named Lady Sovereign, um came out with a diss track against her um called sad ass stripper i encourage you to look up this beef because it is iconic i'm writing this down and right now sad ass stripper is such a fucking good diss song. <laughs> it is it is brutal you have to listen to like the original and then like the because she used her same beat to like diss her on um, oh my gosh it's it's brutal it's really brutal but it's so good I feel like you know more about British culture than I do, to be honest. But you have to tell everybody about the meme that I sent you when I sent you my book. Because okay. that's one of the funniest things I've ever done in my life. It was beautiful. <laughs> I will tell everyone. I actually, um, so basically, Clarabelle sent me Ghost Squad. And in the email, um, if anyone watches Love Island, the the like slang like not slang the catchphrase i guess is kind of like oh when they're describing a guy they like they're like oh he's my type on paper and obviously like that's that's a book and so it's just brilliant (laughs) Uh, i was like so proud of myself when i i was like this is this joke is gonna kill it (laughs) i think you're like send No, that was amazing. So basically, I feel like my Mad Fat Diary, just one more thing to say about it. I feel like I've been so unsatisfied since I've watched it. Like, nothing has made me feel... Like, I love so many shows. Like, I love Killing Eve. But it's just like, growing up as like a fat teenager, I felt like nothing came close to like the way it deals with stuff. There's a scene where like Ray's um, eating with her friends and she wants to eat alone. Um, she just wanted to watch her and I'm like oh my god and she just says that and I'm like that's what I do oh my god like I always tell my friends not to watch me eat and well I used to I don't do that anymore but like it's just so wild that they just like depicted very very like nuanced things that come with being like someone that has a body society doesn't accept amazing yeah it is uh, every time I think about that show I feel similarly because I haven't been as riveted and heartbroken and like attached to characters the way that I have been since I watched my Mad Fat Diary and I think that it could only be like a hope of mine to one day write a young adult book that feels the way that that book made me feel um that that show made me feel that would be like okay I've made it because it really like I wasn't in high school you know when when that uh, show came out I was older but it really brought back so many of those memories for me and like really made me remember what it felt like to just like have this super intense crush on someone and feel like there's no way that he's going to like me because I don't look the way that that other girls do. And like for me, it wasn't at that time in high school, it wasn't a weight thing, but it was a thing where when I moved out, of the city to the suburbs everybody was white and the boys in my school would only want to hang out with me if it was a secret because 
even in in that time it's like not we're not talking about the 80s here we're talking about the 2000s like it was like oh kind of not cool to date a girl who was not white at in the school like people would have made fun of them and there were so many people who after we graduated were like I had a huge crush on you in high school but I couldn't say anything because my parents wouldn't let me ask you out or because my friends were gonna make fun of um were gonna make fun of me and like shit like that is so hurtful that's so hard to deal with you know um to just constantly feel like you're not good enough because of something that is 100% out of your control and because of something that is not something that makes someone not good enough at all but boy oh boy what a good show huh so amazing (laughs) just it was like really a masterpiece people need to step up i'm like looking for a show like that i think sex education has come close to how it makes me feel our son eric oh my god eric (laughs) he's the perfect character i love when he laughs at oda (laughs) his laugh is so lovely like it's so good he laughs at him with his whole soul and like oda's could be so embarrassed and eric does not care (laughs) like he could just be like shut up eric and eric is just like mouth open wide like hysterically (laughs) laughing i'm like i love you so much eric oh my god and I also love I, that Eric's not an underdog. He's like, um, I don't know, there's something about his character that's so fresh and new. Like, he's like, so unapologetic, but in a way that feels authentic. And like, right. him and Otis, Otis is a very irritating person, but their friendship is so like, they're just 100% themse- like, themselves with each other. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love what you said about um, Eric. It's so true because he... um, he He, he is so self-possessed and has this like, this um this like self-confidence about him at the same time he doesn't have it all figured out at all and like I love that they show those two things like he's not like the magical answer to like everything like that Otis needs help with he's his friend and he tries but like most of the time he's just laughing at him you know (laughs) (laughs) what are you gonna do like sometimes you gotta laugh and like I love that because Otis needs somebody to laugh at him because he takes everything way too seriously. Oh my god, he does. And like him having Eric around is perfect. And the way he did him dirty on his birthday oh my in god. season one, I will never forgive him for. I was screaming at the television during that part. It was so frustrating. I was like, How dare you do this to him? That on white his 16th boy birthday on his sixteenth oh. birthday, give me a break. I was so angry. Yeah. One thing I will also say is that I really loved the interaction with Eric and his dad oh my in God. the scene where he drops him off at the party and he's struggling with like being worried about his son and like fighting his like like his the built-in sort of like biases that he grew up with while also wanting to support him and the fact that supporting him wins out in the end is like oh beautiful man i love you so much but also i felt like it was such a i felt like that scene was a representation of a lot of immigrant kids versus their parents Mm. um like the immigrant parents have had to like hide themselves and like assimilate and like they can't be loud and happy and like unapologetic they've had to come into a place where they're not accepted and everything's a danger dangerous for them and their kids yeah. are now living kind of in a, in a world where they can speak up a little louder and mm-hmm. it scares them it terrifies them because that meant death for them basically absolutely 
absolutely and you see that because he's afraid for eric he doesn't want eric to get hurt and he's like are you sure that you want to do this and eric's like this is who i am and he looks so amazing with his outfit and oh my god that head oh my god he just looks incredible and i love the fact that he met a man that was black and older and sort of like really just being unapologetically himself and telling Eric like yeah this is like how I dress and like Eric saw that and he was like wait a minute I can do this too like I can like rock all these colors and just like be myself and it's like yes representation matters it does and I love that when Eric does like um like more of a femme look um it's always mm. it's always like an ode to his like culture it's not like westernized i know i love that too and he really rocks it like, yes he 100 percent does i loved his look for the dance and at the end of season one everybody go check out sex education wonderful yeah. show wonderful um i feel like british shows are just like doing it right i guess yeah because i feel like your shows are a lot less afraid to just like talk about the things that are real and human whereas americans are like so afraid of sex specifically it's like violence is okay but like anything that has to do with sex here is like no 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 (laughs) you can't do that with a show about teenagers like but then you have something like riverdale where it's like it's like overly sexualized like it makes no sense i wish it did but it doesn't. <laughs> oh, Riverdale gives me a headache. Sometimes I go on YouTube and I watch Riverdale, like, scenes. And I'm like, what oh the hell God. is going on? I love, like, I watched, like, one season of Riverdale. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but I love to read and watch and, like, listen to roundups of that show. Because it's so ridiculous. It's like, there's that one, like, screen grab where the guy is like, I had to, I had to start running drugs when I was... 10 years old and I never got to go to school and then Archie's like then you've never known the thrill of high school competitive sports (laughs) (laughs) it's like no Archie he was too busy trying not to die (laughs) no of poverty okay (laughs) I'm always like am I watching this out of context but then you don't need the context because it's just literally that's what it is the context doesn't matter because the show Oh my gosh, we spent so much time speaking about like shows, but um, (laughs) we really did. (laughs) It was worth it. It was so much fun. But moving on to the next question, what are your like favorite non-writing things to do? Um, so I love to play video games. Um, as anyone who follows me on social media knows, I am obsessed with The Sims and Stardew Valley. Final Fantasy VII, um, Kingdom Hearts, um, now Animal Crossing. Um, I just love video games a lot. Um, I spend a lot of time doing that to sort of like relax and not think about writing. Um, I also love karaoke. (laughs) I love karaoke. I actually love to sing. I um, used to write lyrics a lot, um, song lyrics. Don't so much anymore. Um, and I also lift. I do a lot of weight training, um, which is something that has super changed my life and has helped me immeasurably. That's just so cool. And um, I remember discussing with you just like how weight training is really good for mental health. And 
yeah. definitely when this was all over i need to get into it i don't know how to get into it but, but um i hate the treadmill so i've been looking for other things but i've been so like intimidated because there's always muscle men uh yeah for sure i think that that's where getting a trainer really helped for me and like i think for most gyms like you can either get like an introductory course like one like of like a complimentary hour with a trainer or like like an intro package where you can get like a couple of classes with them to like learn the basics um which is how I started doing it um because that's the scariest part of it right like doing it wrong and like not knowing what you're doing and now I go to the gym and I'm like lifting like like heavy like bars like with like the trap bars and like I look like a like a like I lift you know (laughs) because I do um but it's so funny because I used to be the same way. I was really intimidated because I felt like, oh my God, all these people around who know what I'm, what they're doing. And the truth is a lot of the people who are at the gym actually have terrible form and are doing it wrong. And like, once you learn how to do things properly, you realize that. Um, but you just go and you focus on your own thing. And the reason why I started lifting was because I, for a really long time, all of my goals were associated with books and writing. And when things went wrong it felt like my life was falling apart because I didn't have another thing you know I didn't have another goal I didn't have another thing that was like fulfilling for me so when I started lifting I found not only that my body was like capable of so much more than what I realized I found a stress reliever and I found a way to have a goal that was completely separate from publishing and when I'm in the gym I'm not thinking about books or writing, or book deals, or being on sub, or sales, or anything, I'm just thinking about, wow, I am lifting 20 pounds more than I was last month, and that feels amazing, or I just have to get through this rep, you know, and it's so good to have those moments of just, like, being hyper-focused on one task that you can be proud of, and that you can see the progress in, that's all about you, and, and yourself, and your body, or your mind, you know. That's amazing and um, such great advice. I think that um, for anyone listening that is having a problem with publishing, whether it's um, you're querying and it's not going well or you're struggling with your agent or you're struggling on submission or your publishing journey is just not going the way you want it to go, I think it's such good advice to get something different to do. I think I've never heard anyone say they do like weight training people's advice usually sucks in my opinion they're like oh yeah watch a tv show and i'm like but tv reminds me of publishing or do this and that i feel like just you need something different to do so i think that's an amazing alternative because it's so different it is if you're able to it definitely is nice and it also is is a a stress reliever right because you're working out and you are um you're getting rid of a lot of the tension that's in your way yeah um and when I, you know, I spent months on the treadmill sort of, like, trying to mitigate some of those um, anxiety issues that I was having, and it was the same thing. Like, it wasn't doing anything for me, and, like, going to the gym and doing weight training, I learned how to work out properly, and now a 30-minute weight training workout, I am sweating for, like, the next, like, two to three hours after I leave the gym, because my metabolism is just like working and your body is like working so hard even after you stop and it's just really really good for my mental health and it's great for my health in general because I deal with like chronic illness and it's been something that's really helped 
help me. I'm going to definitely mention this in the show notes. Thank you for sharing. And the next question is, which of your characters are you most like? Um, that's a hard one. I would say that I'm most like, I would say I'm probably most like, um, Sid, um, in Ghost Squad, who is Luceli's best friend, because I use humor as a shield. And, um, because I'm also very, like, I'm very focused on solutions. And, like, Sid is, like, this is what we got to do. And it's not always a good plan, but the way that she copes is by coming up with solutions to problems, even if they are, you know, radical problem um, solutions. And that's me. Like, that's how my brain works, which isn't always a great thing because sometimes you just have to let things marinate. But for me, it's like, I need to confront this right now and I need to find a solution. And Sid's very much like that. I also love fixing things and I I guess in publishing as well it's so hard to fix things because so much is out of your control yeah it's like the worst personality trait to have when it comes (laughs) to certain things in publishing literally and then and on another end of the spectrum it can also be really great because when you get like something like edit notes like you are like time to fix this you know what I mean like I'm gonna sulk for an hour and then I'm gonna find a solution and um, that's great in that context but then there are things that you want to fix that you can't and that's when it gets tricky exactly yeah what is one of your favorite quotes from ghost squad um one of my favorite quotes from ghost squad okay so there is a quote um from Tia Milagros who is one of my favorite characters um and she says it's painless to die Lucelli. it's peaceful What hurts the most is watching those you loved in life mourn you in death. It's enough to break a heart, even one as hard as mine. That one always makes me, like, emotional. That's so beautiful. (laughs) And um, what made you write the character and, like, the quote? Is there a specific reason? Is there something you wanted people to kind of get out of it? Um, I wanted people to... I wanted people who are dealing with grief to realize that the people that they lost would want to see them happy. And that's not to say that you, you can't, you can't grieve those that you lose. But if we believe that, you know, different people have different beliefs, but if we do believe that the people we lost are still around in some form in a different way or watching over us or are able to like feel our energies or whatever it is, then you would want them to not, to not suffer because we're suffering, right? Um, to try to honor their memories in ways that that can help you heal. Um, so in a way, it's me trying to help people learn to let go of the most painful part of grief, which is like that initial grief of like disbelief and just like constant crying and like not being able to function. Um, and to just think, if the, if the person that you lost could see you, would they want you to be mourning like this for such a long time? Or would they want you to, to learn to live without them? And that's something that has helped me. Um, I can remember my brother and honor his memory by doing things that we used to do together and by making him proud and by doing things that he didn't get to do and by channeling my grief into those um things I end up 
enriching my life (laughs) and being able to honor his memory in a way that isn't keeping me constantly trapped in a cycle of, you know, grief and depression and grief and depression. That's amazing. And um, I know that that's something that like needed to hear and like some people need to hear. It's just so, it's so difficult. Right. You feel guilty, right? You feel like I should be suffering because they're gone. And it's like, it's normal to feel sad. Um, but at a certain point you have to, you have to continue living and you can live in a way that always keeps that person's memory close to you without it being a sad thing all the time. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, of course. And would you say that writing ghost squad was like something that helped you heal? A hundred percent. Um, every message that I try to convey to people who are dealing with grief is a message that I learned that I needed to hear and that I needed to reinforce for myself. So writing Ghost Squad was cathartic. There were moments when it was painful, but it was definitely something that helped me continue to navigate the loss of uh, losing a sibling, which is something that, you know, the, the, the journey never ends. You're, you're always dealing with that grief in a different way. Um, but it definitely helped me to sort of cross over to this other side of acceptance and, um, almost beauty. And what do you want readers to take away from reading Ghost Squad? I hope that readers can have a sense of like adventure. It, It is about grief, but, um, those are sort of like the underlying themes of the book the the story is about you know friendship and family um both biological family and found family and I hope that people come away with it happy and feeling like they found characters that are they're going to be able to come back to whenever they are feeling um down um characters that are going to cheer them up and I hope that they come away with the message of the people that we lose never leave us they're always in our hearts if we choose to continue to keep them alive in ways um that are going to be um you know healthy and happy for us one last question I have if you could raise any person from the dead and have dinner with them who would you pick and why well I would obviously pick my brother (laughs) I think that if I could have another day with him it would be incredible and just like catch up on everything um and if it was like a famous person or somebody like that um I don't know I feel like that's really hard because you never know who's like who was like actually a jerk (laughs) (laughs) I I would hate to say like Shakespeare and then Shakespeare like get away from me brown person or something (laughs) And I'd be like, no, you're too famous. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'll just stick with my brother for that one. That's still an amazing answer. And I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on today. Could you uh, tell everyone where they can find you on your socials and your website as well? Sure. Thank you for having me on. Um, it was a really great chat. Uh, you um, can all find me on Twitter and Instagram at Clarabel underscore Ortega. And my website is clarabelortega.com. You can find out all about my books and my upcoming books and my appearances and send me messages, whatever you like. And do you have any final words you want to share with everyone? 
Um, I just want to apologize to the people of the UK for <laughs> failing my quiz about your slang. I'm going to study, and hopefully next time I'll do better. To John Boyega, I apologize. Please know that I love you, and I did have to watch Attack the Block with, um, with subtitles. I'm sorry. 